Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Hey, BTB buddies, I wanted to let you know that I have a Patreon page now so that you can support the show. Check out patreon.com forward slash BTBPC and check out the cool stuff you can get for as little as two bucks per month. You can also find the link in the show notes. Thanks, as always, for listening. All right, we are live with Behind the Bits, the rapid round with Adam Daigie, who is a comic from, are you from Grand Rapids? That's where I live. Yeah. Okay. You can say that. Sure. Okay. I grew up in Muskegon, but I've all the comedy I've done, or at least where I started, is in Grand Rapids. Okay. Okay. Great. Like I told you, Adam, the the rapid round is kind of a uh, entertainment tonight type uh, thing, Mm -hmm. where I tease the live audience with uh, with your story, and then we. go off live and get the real story and they have to subscribe to the podcast to listen. So everybody who's watching, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can hear Adam's whole story. Now, Please do. before, before I forget, um, we, we did a mic together. What's the mic that has the, um, funny face, uh, thing in the background? Uh, oh, Sunday night funny? yeah, Sunday night, Sunday night funny. So that was, yeah. In February, um, I think you were the last guy to go up, and I was like the second or third guy to go up. Okay. Yeah, then, yeah, in the winter, I think I remember that. Yeah. I. Uh, it's, um, that's a fun mic. Brian B. does a good job putting that together. Yeah, that's a really, really cool mic. And I um, I was with my wife, and uh, she said, all the comics are over there. Why don't you go uh, sit with the comics? And I'm like, no, we, I mean, w- it's it's like two hours from my house. I said, I'm not going to leave you to sit here by yourself. And she said, I'll make friends. Right. Don't worry about it. But I, I stayed with her anyway. But, uh, yeah, I, I recognize, <laughs> I recognize you. you. I, I leave, I leave my wife and go sit with a cop. Yeah. So <laughs> if she gets dressed up and she, you know, comes out and, and it's, you know, I, I feel like we should be sitting together. I'll do it. But yeah, no she's doubt. been to enough shows that I'll, I'll leave her here and there. Yeah. Um, so these, uh, these standard nice. questions, let's get to them. Uh, when did you start doing stand up, Adam? Man, I started comedy in, I think 2005, a couple years out of high school. I mean, you know, the first however many years don't even count. I don't think I had a car until, <laughs> or I had a car and then it broke down and I, I couldn't really even get to open mics and gigs and, you know, uh, until maybe 2006 or seven, at least. Uh, and I'm sure I had other comics drag me around and they were kind of, you know, my rides, but uh, yeah, I think it was like 2005. So it's been 15 years. Wow. And was there any comedy outlet at all for in Muskegon? Oh no. Yeah. You know, the first time I got on stage growing up in that area was probably a talent show. Uh-huh. And then God, there was, there was a bar called dreamers or something that did have comedy here and there, but at, this was after I started. And now there's a, a few places to perform in the Muskegon area. There's a, a brewery unruly brewery that has some really good shows. And then I think maybe a mic somewhere, but mm. back in 2005, absolutely not. There yeah. was, and that was part of the appeal. I mean, I was born in Grand Rapids. My old man lived here and, I started working in the Bob where the comedy club is, Dr. Grins. Yeah. And I would actually, I'd leave work and then just be in the comedy club and hanging out and uh, kind of got started that way. So 
Yeah, I had to get out of Muskegon. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know they have a Gordon food service there because I used to work for Gordon's yeah. in the 90s. So, yeah, I, I remember that part. Um, gets in Muskegon. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't do comedy at Gordon's. I don't know why. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so um, who were your comedy influences? What got you, first of all, why did you start? And who were who, who was it that made you want to start? Well, um, for me, it was the cliche class clown, uh, you know, the, whatever those stupid high school yearbook votes are, what are those called? Uh, I don't, I don't I'm know the, the name, I, but, uh, I'm, I'm 56. We form. didn't have those, <laughs> but I was, yeah, I was voted, you know, class comedian. It was, mm. uh, I was always kind of the kid who was a smart ass, but I certainly wasn't a fighter. I probably should have got my ass kicked and maybe got out of a lot of fights by making people laugh. But um, always was just kind of, yeah, a class clown knew that I wanted to be funny. And um, but believe it or not, my influences were I was really into like black comics, like Kings of Comedy was huge for me. Mm -hmm. I, I was a huge fan of Martin Lawrence, um, Eddie Murphy, obviously. Uh, Richard Pryor was before my generation, but um, and then Chris Rock, all but I knew I couldn't try to emulate those, emulate those guys, you know, because I was white and that, <laughs> it wouldn't have worked. <laughs> so, uh, but that, those were my comedy influence, influences really before, you know, I got a little older than Dane Cook was huge in the early 2000s. And I, I never wanted to be necessarily a comic similar to Dane Cook, although I, I think he, he gets a bad rap now. But, you know, when he was selling out Madison Square Garden, I mean, he was. You know, I always was thought he was funny. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I, I liked him. My, my son liked him. So I would watch with my son. So maybe that's why I liked him so much. Oh, I'm, I can remember sitting around with my buddies when we were, you know, 1920 and just dying laughing. Man. Yeah. That, the first, I think it was like, was it harmful of swallowed? I can't remember one of his, he had that first comedy central special with like the tank top and he was all crazy. And yeah. then he, he had those first couple albums. He was he was great. So I mean, he was definitely a guy that I admire. At least those were the MySpace days. He actually got real big on MySpace and then was touring and was the biggest comic in the world at the time. Yeah. Um, well, I guess that was the first big non-black influence that I had. Yeah. Um, where it was more of an eye opener, like, oh, I, I can do this. Right. I've seen some stuff about Dane Cook going around saying that he's uh, he's he's got a puffy face now, and I'm. I'm like, you son of a bitch, as people get older, just, yeah, that's, <laughs> I, well, not okay. the guy's got to be close to 50 now. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I don't look like I did when I was 30. So is it not okay to age or have any flaws at yeah. any point if, or people, do, people almost too, if you have any amount of fame or wealth, they, you can get, you know, plastic surgery and pay for Botox and stuff. But I mean, father time is undefeated. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it uh hits you no matter what you are it'll eventually you know catch up with you so and even if yeah. you look good everything hurts so it doesn't Fine. matter Everybody yeah. on dane cook i mean is the guy kind of can he be a shit bag i'm sure but he had undeniable talent and was really big for a long time yeah. and did his thing yeah um this is one i like to ask everybody that's a little bit off topic um are you um currently inspired by any books that you're reading music that you're listening to podcast magazines or anything have you uh consumed anything that kind of lit, lit off a light bulb in your head um, you know i should certainly i i, I mean Anybody that knows me will tell you I'm a moron and I should probably read more. I try to, uh, <laughs> I try, I actually just recently read like the Andre Agassi autobiography. Remember that time? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty wild actually. I don't know that that influenced me comedy wise at all, but it was mm. definitely crazy to hear stories, uh, just about how nuts his life was. Um, but now that I'm on the subject, he, he actually did an interview on, uh letterman once and i i just randomly came by it on youtube and it was like top 10 biggest like confessions ever on late night and in the book he talks about smoking crystal meth 
Uh-huh. So I thought for sure, oh, he's he must bring this up on Letterman. Like, yeah, Dave, I used I actually smoked math when I was a you know number one tennis player in the world. But the confession was how he was bald and wore a wig. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That's the confession. <laughs> People give more of a shit of a guy's bald, which means talking to me because I am than if they smoked math. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't I've definitely read like I've I read the book, uh, I think it's I killed I, I read um, it was a biography. Uh, um, Rickles. I read. I read a lot of comedy books. It's been a while. That I feel like that's something I did more in the beginning, and I, I should be more of like a student of the game. You know, I should probably watch more comedy and read more stuff and mm-hmm. study the craft and be you know be better about that kind of stuff. But especially during COVID, if I'm being honest, man, I I've had more time than ever, and I've I've probably been lazier than ever as far as yeah. my comedy brain is not good but yeah well i've i've seen the weight i've seen the weight loss journey though so that's uh at least you're yeah. uh doing something i'm trying i i you know i've i haven't had the best bill of health the last few years so i figured i should should try to do something to move me in a positive direction so and i yeah. you know i never like i said i never had more time to actually you know get off my ass and try to make stuff happen. So, yeah, I kind of, I did the same thing because I started gaining weight and I used to be super fat and I, I knew that I could get super fat again and I I didn't want to do that. So I, I started walking, I started running, I got a stress fracture on my foot and I found out I'm too old for this shit. So I just started walking again. So, Oh, trust me, man. You know, I'm 36 and I, I, if, if there's anybody who legitimately enjoys running outside on the concrete, I, I, they have to be the level of sociopath directly below a serial. Yeah. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Because it is, it is not enjoyable or appealing in any way. And yeah. It's not a lazy thing for me. I don't mind moving and exercising even cardio. Like I'll, I'll get on like a, I don't know, a lateral or whatever that uh-huh. all those stepper. I'll do that for an hour. Yeah. However long, but. Running is just so bad on your yeah. knees and ankles and back. And I even bought some running shoes and it's, it's improved, but man, yeah. it is not the ideal. Yeah. It's not, it's not good at all. My, my wife's got a bad knee from running and the, her orthopedic guy said, just don't run anymore ever. And, <laughs> and that was bad for her, but you know, now we bike and stuff, but you know, it, it is what it is. And when you're old, you're not supposed to do any of that stuff. No, there's other options. Yeah. Ellipticals are great. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last question is, um, what comedy album or special would you consider to be your all time favorite? Oh boy. That's a good one. Um, and there's so many. It's, you know, if I'm being honest, it's, it's, it's probably a Bill Burr special. I'm a real big Burr guy and Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's hard for me to narrow it down to one, but (sighs) probably not one of the ones in the last few years, but man. Yeah. Um, anything I can't put my finger on which one it's hard to pick. But it's probably a Burr special. Yeah, I like everything he's ever done, and uh, I've, I've been pursuing him for the podcast a little bit. But you know how that goes, so right. <laughs> it may he's happen. A, he's a busy guy. Yeah, but yeah, probably a Burr special. I think. Great, but like I said, I mean, there's so many of the ones I, I loved growing up, even the, I'm so bad at remembering the, the titles of these things, but there was a few of the Chris rock ones. I bigger and blacker, mm-hmm. uh, was fantastic. And, um, gosh, there's just, it's, yeah. When you start thinking about all the great specials you've watched, you know, since you started comedy, there's so many, it's hard to, you know, who I really missed that. I, at the time, I, I guess I didn't, appreciate him as a stand-up as much as I should have is Robin Williams. That guy was just yeah. such a such a phenomenal talent yeah. uh, as an actor and a stand-up. And um, now I wish I would have 
enjoyed it more, tried to watch it more. Cause I always thought of him as an actor first in comic glass, but I mean, he's, he started with the improv and comedy and yeah. Yeah. I've gotten to talk to a lot of people who worked with him and, uh, they say he was just a force of nature and he was always oh, on. So it was yeah. just, he was one of those people that it was like, I don't know how you could ever have him do anything other than close a show. Yeah. Yeah. Even if he was at like the, you know, the comedy store or, you know, a play, you know, one of these showcase famous clubs where you just kind of show up and bump people. Yeah. But even then you'd have to be like, you'd think that they'd be like, Robin, please just go on last. Yeah. Nobody wants to follow. <laughs> People did have to follow him and he, he was, uh, I talked to some guys when he was trying to go from the, uh, the smaller room to the main room mm-hmm. and, uh, then they finally let him go, but they put him on first and it was like, no, nobody could even, and Letterman, I think Letterman I mean, was following him alone, let alone, you know, the, the voices and yeah. characters and just, yeah, he was, uh, that he was uh, a maniac. Yeah. All right. Great. Um, so at the end of the live thing, uh, for everybody that's watching, do you have anything that you would like to promote? Uh, and we'll do this at the end too. Anything you want, want to promote or uh, talk about that, uh, you'd like to send sure. people to, I mean, I, uh, you know, I'm on all the social media, Instagram. I got a, I've got rid of my Facebook news feed, the personal page, because that was just uh, making me want to walk in front of a bus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I do still have a fan page on Facebook. And then um, I do something every year called the Deggy Draft, which is essentially just a video submission contest where comedians and people who don't do comedy uh, basically submit videos and, and try to get themselves drafted into the NFL, which um, if you go to the, uh, Deggy draft room or the Deggy draft page on Facebook, uh, you can find in- more information on that, but it's a lot of fun. There's, uh, there's prizes and incentive to be involved and it's gotten bigger and better every year. And that takes place every year in April, uh, with the sports world kind of being up in the air. I don't know what's going to happen this next year, but, um, yeah, the Deggy draft and then just. All the all the social media, I guess. Unfortunately, I don't have any shows to promote because I was supposed to be in Iowa next week. That got canceled. Yeah, supposed to headline the showcase in Ann Arbor in October. I don't know if that's going to happen. So it's like, yeah, I want to tell people to come, but do I think that the club is going to be open? I don't. Yeah, at this point. yeah it's Who knows? A- it's a roll of the dice right now. I got to mm-hmm. tell you that uh, Dan West is never happier than when the Deggy draft is going on. Yeah. <laughs> I love Dan, man. He's one, he's one of the MVPs of that thing. He's always super involved and super enthusiastic about it. And it's, I think the misconception is people think that you have to love sports or be a sports fan to be involved or to enjoy it. And you really don't. I mean, there's yeah. people that are involved that I've never met. And have no interest in comedy, let alone that college <laughs> sports, and they're all about it. So yeah. it's really just used to like you know talk smack and kind of brag and and just yeah. it's if, if, if nothing else, it's another outlet to just create content and just be silly and you know take advantage of the internet, especially now when you know we're not all able to do the things we were doing. Right, so, no doubt, no doubt. So let's get back into when you started comedy, you, you know, it was kind of an extension of what you were doing in high school. What was that first Mm -hmm. time you got on stage and did an open mic like? Oh boy. Well, like I said, I think I did a talent show originally, which man, I I can't even count that because (laughs) who knows what my, I think my, I had jokes about my mother throwing shoes at me and (laughs) I'm sure it was real corny, you know, it was just probably, um, a juvenile, but I couldn't have been dirty. So, mm, yeah, uh, only to a certain extent. And then, but I, it must've been, it had to be Dr. Grins. Mm. And I used to leave work. I'd have a chef jacket on. I worked in the kitchen. I definitely wasn't a chef. I don't know what y'all are doing, but I, I used to help <laughs> banquets. So I would be bringing food in and out of the kitchen and I'd leave, you know, the club with the chef jacket salon and the, the MC at the time, his name was Billy Grin. I don't know what his real last name was, but they called him Billy Grin. Yeah. 
Um, and he would almost beg people like, do you want to do time? Which is crazy. Cause now it's, you know, booked months in advance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost, you know, difficult to get on, but at the time, you know, back in the early two thousands, they, they were struggling to get people to do it. Um, so there was a, a ton of stage time and that's, I mean, I knew when I started working there that that's what I wanted to do. But once it finally actually started happening, it was, it was pretty cool. And I think, you know, I, I think I had probably more success in the beginning uh, than I should have. And then that probably actually wasn't a good thing. I know a lot of guys will have maybe too much success because they have all their friends there. Yeah. And, you know, you get that bringer open mic or showcase or, you know, competition audience. And then, and then you really find out how funny you aren't when you perform in front of, five people you don't know mm. in Ohio. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. oh, <laughs> I'm not that good at this. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's almost better to, I don't know, because then again, if you if you do real, real bad the first dozen times you get on stage because nobody's there to support you, then maybe you're scared away. But yeah, it's unfortunate that that's, that's when you have the most supporters in the beginning because that's when you're the worst. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when everybody comes to watch you. And then years later, you're like, Hey, no, I'm, I'm working at the club now. And I've been there. (laughs) Totally dig that. And and the problem is they have to hear the same stuff so many times, uh, or you've changed a word or you, you know, you're trying to make it better, but to them, it's the same stuff. They know what the punch is. They don't, yeah. They don't notice the little, you know, the little changes and the subtractions and additions and any tags or they just remember specifics. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can totally dig that. So how long did it take you from doing, uh, the open mics at Dr. Grins to actually getting your first paid gig? Man, I want to say at least three or four years. Now they used to do, which is, was a totally unnecessary spot that they paid where they at the club there, funny business, the booker in town that they book stuff all over the, all over the country, most of the Midwest, but um, they still book grins. And at the time they would have, so they would have their house MC, which the, the club employed and paid, but then they would have, uh, you know, a feature and headliner, just like most clubs, but then between the MC and the feature, for whatever reason, they'd have a guy do like 10 minutes. Okay. I think for them it was almost like a showcase or a guest spot for a comic they wanted to work elsewhere or to feature at the club in the future. And just to know that this person was worthy, they would have them do a spot, but you got like a hundred bucks, which is insane. 10 minutes. And it didn't last long. I think they realized pretty quickly. We don't need to do this. (laughs) Do this for free. Um, so I actually got, that was the first paid gig I ever had. I got the check blown up. It's still in a frame. It's collecting dust in my basement yeah. somewhere. <laughs> um, That's really cool though. Yeah. That, that was a, I guess a cool way to have your first paid gig. Cause it, there wasn't, I'm sure there was still a lot of pressure. I mean, I, it was so stupid cause I went out and like, I, I got some dress pants and, uh, you know, a shirt and a tie to, which is like in hindsight, I never, dress up on stage yeah but at the time i was like oh it's my first pig it looked nice and i remember when i was in the <laughs> store buying a tie some asshole that worked for some pyramid scheme approached me and was like hey you look nice you look like a go-getter you look like you you're going to places you you want big things and then of course he had me meet him at panera or something oh, a while wow. later and as soon as he slid the packet to me across the table i was like ah, shit i've heard about this i fell for it yeah <laughs> um but yeah it's so crazy to look at pictures and see that i was like trying to i don't know what i was going for to be the tie guy uh <laughs> which a lot of guys pull it off you know guys wear suits and there's some really funny guys who oh yeah who pull it off but I don't the, what the, my persona on stage and just my act in general doesn't really, uh, go hand in hand with someone who's in a shirt and tie. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. And mm-hmm. I don't, 
there, some of the old school guys still think it's necessary. And mm-hmm. uh, they, you're they, up there talking about God knows what. Yeah. I mean, I listen, I there's a lot of the unwritten rules in comedy that I think that we need to get over. But like, do I think you should wear shorts to pay, a paid show? No, probably mm-hmm. not. Yeah. Um, but do I think you need to wear a suit jacket and a tie? No. Yeah. I, I would guess that the people that do would prefer that not everybody does because that's especially yeah. as a white male comic where there's a thousand more of us than anybody else, mm-hmm. a million more. That's one of the only ways you can stand out is your clothes or your attire or yeah. that that becomes part of your personality and your act, really. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So. So when did you... uh when did you get enough material together that you could do a solid feature? You know, it probably had to be 2010, 11, 12. So we're talking five, six years after I started. I mean, you know, you do, you rotate so much of the same crap in the beginning. And I, I think we all think we have more time than we do before we do. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause in reality, you know, if you're doing, if, when you say I have 30 minutes, you, you should probably at least know in your head you have more than 30 minutes so, or because who knows what can happen. And I mean, can you do 30 minutes if you got to be PG or PG 13? And mm-hmm. um, I, I'm sure it took me a while. And there's a difference also between having 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I have probably seven hours of material. How much of that is good? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> well, I mean, not everybody's Bill Burr putting out an hour special every year. Th- those are realistic expectations. Yeah. I-, yeah. I mean, so unrealistic expectations. So it- it's it probably took me, you know, a while to, that I really felt comfortable. I'm sure I said I did before I did. And um, but, yeah, probably five or six years before I felt like I had a solid 30 that I knew would, uh, go well. Mm-hmm. Where did, so between, uh, in, in that formative time, when, when you're getting that first half hour together, what, uh, f- formed your, I guess your style of comedy and your writing. I mean, where, where did that come from where you, you know, became you? I, I think for me, I've, I've always kind of, I don't know if it's because I'm lazy or I have ADD, but I, I've never had that much of a structure to my act. I mean, I, in the beginning, I, I definitely had, you know, a set list and I had my first joke and my last joke and everything in between. And I stuck to that because, you know, I wanted to make sure I did well. I wanted every joke to hit as much as possible. And I wanted to have as solid of a set beginning to end as possible. But now if I'm being honest, I, and it shouldn't be this way, I need to get better at it, especially this far into the game, but I, I've got enough material that I kind of go up there and let the crowd and show take me where it goes. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think I'm an above average comic as far as crowd work. Like I'm pretty good at riffing and, and doing crowd work and mm-hmm. just doing things off the cuff, which as much as it, I think is, uh, is a nice skill to have it. It also can, I, I think derail sets or maybe not derail sets, but maybe you don't get as quality of a set as you could have. Cause you, you, you know, get off track and you're messing with people. And a lot of times they'll do crowd work and I'll, I'll be doing stuff off the cuff and then I'll go back to the material and the audience is like, well, what is this? Why don't you keep making fun of my wife? You know, why, why are you yeah. telling jokes again? <laughs> so it's, I don't know. It's, there's pros and cons. Yeah. It's, it's definitely something that I, I feel like you've either, got it or you don't i mean you can get better at it but there's some guys who you, you they just kind of stay in their comfort zone and, and they would never try that which is fine that they may be phenomenal writers and they don't they don't need to right uh, but i feel like there's a lot of people who watch live comedy who appreciate it and i think that's what really separates live from just something you could watch on youtube or a special or anything from your phone or television it's, right. it's that what really makes people feel like they were there at that specific show and yeah. They were part of that show specifically. So um, and as far as my style, you know, I'm a kind of all over the place. I do some one liners, but then I also have some intermediate jokes and I also have some some longer bits. 
Um, there's a lot of stuff I do where I kind of talk really fast and I just, I blow through stuff on purpose cause it's the, the kind of the, the purpose is to just ramble and then follow it with a punchline. And so I don't know if I have it. Like I, I'm definitely not just a one-liner guy. I'm definitely not a story comic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm not what you'd call a physical comic necessarily either. So I, I'm just, I'm okay at a lot of stuff. Not great at anything. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I wouldn't, I really wouldn't discount the, uh, crowd work stuff because, uh, you know, people like Ian Bag and Bob Zaney have really, you know, made, made a career out of it. Yeah. Made a career. And Bob Zaney does the same shit on stage every single time, but it's a crowd work right. that you go for. Right. I mean, the, the Ian Bags and Zaney's of the world, but the, the audience that's there every week, they don't understand that. Like it's, it is crowd work. Yeah. But you're, you're, you know what people are going to say and you, you know how to, you know, maneuver your way through an audience where it seems like it's all off the cuff or off the top of your head and spontaneous. Mm. But in reality, you know what's going to happen and what you're going to say. But at the same time, I'm sure they're constantly, you know, bringing in new because something happened at a show that never happened before and thinking yeah. of new stuff. I mean, so, but that's a lot of people love that and they they wouldn't. Those are their favorite comics and they wouldn't want it any other way. I mean, I think some people maybe get bored with just someone who is just kind of repetitive and their, their tone and cadence is just the same for 45 minutes. And mm-hmm. maybe they don't do anything off the cuff or it's, I don't know, maybe it's too predictable for mm-hmm. some people, but yeah, it's, I, I, I personally selfishly just have more fun that way because even as someone who I, I do try to write a decent amount, even when I'm on the road for my own sanity, but mm-hmm. because, lazy i don't write as much as i should and then i'm on stage and sometimes i'm not even listening to the words coming out of my mouth i just know i say this i get a laugh i say this i get a bigger laugh i say this i get the biggest laugh and i'm just going through the motions yeah or you know and i've been up there a half hour and i'm just you know it's (laughs) it becomes a job and it's for me to stay sane and feel like i'm still enjoying it i've got to do the crowd work just to make it feel new and refreshing and yeah, it's uh, it's definitely hurt. It's hurt me as a comic because I mean, I, I should it should be more important to me to get on stage and develop new material and take those chances because you really have to be become more comfortable with bombing than you are with always having to do well and sw- and be able to swallow your pride enough to develop that new stuff and take chances and take risks. Right. More so than just, I got to do well, so I enjoy this, and I don't have to feel the pain of something not doing well, but mm-hmm. you have Yeah, and what you said about um, not having a particular style, um, I... So I, I listened to your, your album today while I was driving, and uh, that's his name is my... Ta- his name is my name, too. Um, so... Um, First off, I always like to ask comics because, you know, these days comics have to do all the work to get their album out on their right. own. So, uh, first off, what possessed you to want to do an album and what did it take from saying, I'm going to do an album to actually releasing it to get that done? Well, I think, um, I just wanted part of the motivation was I want to get this material documented and then not do it anymore. At least at the least do it last. Yeah. Um, so I wanted something that would just be there forever on the internet and in an album form that people could buy on iTunes or other platforms. And, but it was never about people purchasing it. That wasn't the biggest goal as far as making money. I'm, I'm not famous. I knew I wasn't going to sell that many albums. Really, I just wanted, you know, a, a, a broader platform for people to listen to my material with, you know, uh, you know, Pandora and and uh, all those outlets and, and, and then YouTube as well. I think it's even on. And then and then just once you're on Sirius, that's when you can really start getting some listeners and yeah. even accumulate a little bit of money, depending on how many stations you're played on. So that was kind of the motivation for me is just the more people that hear my stuff, the better. And um, just as an excuse to have started what felt like a new 45 or at least 
mostly new material. Mm -hmm. So, so that album is kind of the culmination of 12 years of your best stuff. Right. Yeah. For the most part. I mean, what's crazy is there's bits I did on that album that I haven't done since Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I didn't do before. Yeah. Legitimately the bits that I had done maybe once or twice out of mic before. And then was like, you know what? I'm doing this at my home club. I've got some, a lot of friends and family. If there's ever a night, I know this will go well. It'll be tonight. And then maybe bits that I, I just know if I did them at a random club, I'm, you know, maybe I'm selling myself short. Maybe they would do well, but probably not as well as that night. And, and, uh, but part of me, I think likes the album more because there's stuff that I kind of did mm-hmm. kind of only, and, uh, it just made it different. Well, this album has such a, um, I mean, it, it, it has an arc like I've, I've never seen on one before. So first off, I, one of the things I really like is somebody who can do a good misdirect and you're the beginning of yours with all those misdirects. I, you know, I'm, I'm so gullible. I'm like, okay, he's done with the misdirects on this one. This one can't be a misdirect. Uh, it is. And, and I mean, you, I, that was like a machine gun of, uh, misdirects and, it takes a certain kind of mind to do that because I, I don't think I could think of a misdirect to save my life. And it was, has that been something you've always done? Uh, I don't think always. I think I, I discovered that I enjoy doing it and I was okay at it. And then I, I just kind of thought, let me keep doing this. And again, selfishly, it, it makes it funner for me because when you can make an audience think you're going one way and then you go the opposite, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, yeah, I think I, and I, the more I did, I just started stringing them together. And uh, I think I just like people's reactions, even if it's not a laugh and just a, Ooh, you know, mm-hmm. so I never had like, um, I, I never wanted to be like Anthony Chesselnick necessarily, but you know, to, to mix in some stuff like that, as far as misdirection, it's always been fun. So, yeah, I really like that. And then, uh, going on to the, um, your dad and breaking bad, uh, mm-hmm. that's obviously very personal and something that, yeah. that, that you needed to get out. And, um, I think you did it well. And I think, uh, just in listening to the audience, I had it going in the car. It feels like that uh, people that knew you were even a little taken aback by that. Is that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I think, well, here's the thing is, you know, my brother was there. Uh, my mom, who, you know, they had been divorced for years, but it's still, you know, the father of her yeah. sons. And I mean, they, they've always known me as a, I'll joke about anything, you know, mm-hmm. Um and uh, nothing is really off limits. And, and for a comic, any comic, especially myself, I, I think I've always used comedy as therapy. It is cliche to say, but I mean, it is therapeutic. And especially when it comes to, you know, death. And and then kind of when I figured out a way to kind of, you know, compare my dad to Walter Wright from Breaking Bad, I was just like, I got to do this because, I mean, I love my dad, obviously, but I, I love the show Breaking Bad. And yeah. when I just, kinda, just when I started thinking of the similarities and just how ridiculous that show is to believe yeah. that <laughs> someone with stage four lung cancer could accomplish all those things. I mean, you can't even hold food down. You're getting chemo and yeah. radiation and shit to, to do, to just be up on your feet for that long. And, you know, yeah. become a, a drug lord is it's ridiculous. I think they so showed him I, actually acting sick. At my dad. And, yeah. And uh, the bit went well. That's another bit that I, you know, I haven't done a lot since the album because people just get weird about cancer. Obviously, I know doing jokes about me having cancer, people get weird, even when I'm talking about myself. Because, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I understand everybody has been affected by cancer in one way or another. So, right not everybody's going to have as dark of a sense of humor, Yeah. but uh, also just because not everybody has watched breaking bad. And I think maybe the reference will just go over people's heads, but it's definitely one of my favorite bits. Yeah. It's time you can take something personal and, and make it funny. It's, you know, I actually listened to it twice because I, I thought it was that good. Uh, What kind of cancer do you have? Well, 
Currently, I don't have any. Okay. Fortunately, but what are you in remission from? <laughs> he, uh, I had stage three melanoma. So okay. I had a mole on my back that came back melanoma. And then they, you know, I had a surgery to remove that and a bunch of skin off my back. And then they found it in the lymph nodes, putting it in stage three. So I had some lymph nodes removed and they went back and took the rest of them out under the left arm. And uh-huh. I did treatment for like a year. It wasn't chemo or radiation. It was immunotherapy, which is a lot less, a lot less, uh, not as it's not as severe as far as like side effects and it's not as it's not as awful mm. thank god um and then uh i you know i'm cancer free now now it's just kind of you know your every quarterly scans and brain mris and all that stuff well, unfortunately melanoma is a cancer that the the, the longer after treatment Unlike other cancers, um, rather than it being less likely, it's more likely to come back. I mean, it's melanoma. That's just it's it's going to at some point. It's just a matter of where and how fast and how severe. And hope hope that they can catch it. But fortunately for me, the the advancements in medicine and treatments for melanoma specifically in just the last five years have really gotten a lot better. Yeah. Even five years ago, I don't know what they would have done. Mm. So. There's people in worse situations and things could be much worse. And I'm just taking it a day at a time. And, uh, you know, it's a win for now. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. You're in remission. Um, thinking about the closer for that album. Uh, that's another one I had to listen to a couple times. Uh, the, oh, the, 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 uh, anonymous invite, I think it's called something like that. Yeah. It's, uh, I think that's the, the, uh, Austin tea party. Yeah. So, where where did that come from? Because I I, I have never heard anything I, like it. That the one and only time I ever did that bit, and <laughs> I, the motivation I think was I was just thinking like, how could I get back at all my axes and these people who don't like me? Uh-huh. Get them all to a party and then essentially pee on them from a balcony. It's really <laughs> ridiculous. It's, it's definitely not anything I feel like I could do it again and. It uh, it went about as well as it could that night. I think the reason I was looking forward to it was just I had some callbacks and yeah, some ridiculous things. Um, well, the setup I, the setup was I, just gold. I I I, I, I absolutely might have just literally been because it, instead of the Boston Tea Party, I could call it the Austin Tea Party. And yeah, <laughs> everything was just the you know the mansion and the guy playing the piano and, and yeah. All this. <laughs> But maybe I should bring it back. I don't know. I, I might uh, might get some oohs and ahs, but it was fun to do. I, I really liked it. The the that and uh, the Breaking Bad one were my two favorites on that album. Um, so that leads me to ask. It, it seems like you know. I, I don't know you, but I'm, I'm a Facebook friend and I see that you're working on yourself and, uh, things, things seem to be changing physically for you. And that usually means things are changing mentally for you. Do, uh, yeah. It feels like maybe you have a different outlook and maybe that may go into your comedy. Do you feel like maybe your, your, uh, your comedy is going to change a little bit just because you're a so. different I mean, person? I- I'll still have, you know, some darker bits and that dry sense of humor and, and whatnot. But I definitely don't think take I don't take things for granted anymore. Um, I, I definitely I, I think I enjoy the craft more than ever. I mean, not just because of having cancer and beating it and, and uh, you know, just being happy that I'm able to get on stage and perform. But especially during COVID, I mean, you the the little opportunities you have, you definitely appreciate. But, um, yeah, I mean, you really just, when you have to think about your own mortality, it definitely changes things, you know, mm-hmm. not only from a county perspective, but just life in general. So yeah, you don't take things for granted. You, you want to use your time wisely as far as, you know, trying to pursue your dreams and do the things that you enjoy. Uh, but you also, you realize what the, what you enjoyed all along and maybe you, you lost focus and, and, and 
we're out of touch as, as far as that is con- concerned for a while. Cause you know, it's, there's so many, I think people in entertainment or comedy in general that are so hell bent on like becoming famous and getting followers and stuff. And mm-hmm. that's at the end of the day that that only means so much. I mean, you really have to enjoy the craft and you know, if I'm being honest, most of what I think I've enjoyed about comedy is just meeting people and hanging out and, mm-hmm. and doing the shit and just, you know, the, the fun you, the joy you have on stage, being able to make a room full of strangers laugh, um, is something that I think a lot of people admire and that a lot of people would never be able to do that. They would love to be able to do. And it's, uh, it's just a really cool, a really cool thing. And mm-hmm. just to be able to do what you enjoy. I mean, not everybody can say that some people have jobs that they hate. Um, and you know, it's, uh, it's definitely, it's awesome. Yeah. That's great. I want to change gears for a second here because I've, uh, I've been having discussions with different comics and they're split like 50, 50. And I, this is the first time I've talked about it actually in an interview, but, uh, um, I think, I think you, you're somebody who knows audiences. So what is going on is there's a, a camp of people that say, that no matter what the audience is, it could be the worst audience in the world. It's your job as a comic to adjust and make them laugh. And then on the other side, there is, Hey, I've got my show. Um, and people that come to a comedy club should want to laugh and they should play along. And then there's the middle ground where you, you, there's give and take. How do you feel about audiences? I, obviously, I mean, I know you've had good ones and bad ones. How, how do you feel? What do you think is their I, duty and your duty? I 100% disagree with the audience is always right. Okay. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, always, it's just like the customer's always right. Bullshit. Mm-mm. There's plenty of ass. Listen, if, if, I, if I do an act that works well 90% of the time, mm-hmm. Am I going to change it to so it works well 100% of the time or or try to cater to that 10% of people to make them happy? I mean, and that's the thing too is not everybody has motivation to make everybody laugh. Yeah. There you know, I, I think for me as a comic, I don't I don't necessarily want everybody to love me. That that's not my goal. I I would rather that you know, it's, it's for some people and maybe it's not for everybody else. I mean, I, I don't get like political necessarily or try to offend or upset people, mm-hmm. but I think you can get into the, there's a lot of, you know, quote unquote bar comics who got into this, you know, uh, uh, an area where they were trying to make everybody happy and appease everyone. And, you know, they become not the comic they wanted to be. You know, do do I want to be a comic who does really well at a comedy club, or do I want to be a comic that always does really well at a road gig at a at a bar? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I definitely should you try to make everybody laugh as much as you can. Yes, but let's be honest. There's just some audiences that suck. Mm-hmm. There one hundred percent is mm-hmm. just some audiences that aren't good. Mm-hmm. If if you do ten shows and nine of those shows you you do really well and one of the shows you didn't do well, was that necessarily your fault if you did the same thing? No. I mean, yeah. can you always get better and, and improve? Sure. I mean, if you get on stage and you're just addicted to people and you don't really bring it and they can tell you didn't bring the energy and you phoned it in and they they were kind of turned off by that or you were being combative and just trying to upset people or going uh-huh. for shock factor and you definitely don't want to lose the focus of being funny. That should always be, I, I think, your main goal. You shouldn't just use the stage as a soapbox to, you know, express your views and opinions. And you can incorporate them as long as you make things funny. And that's the end goal of every joke. But right. no, I mean, the saying the audience is always right is ridiculous. Yeah. And it's funny, comedy club audiences, It, I mean they seem to be made up of, you know, just a few types of people. You got the the bachelorette parties, you got, right. uh, you got the group of, uh, 
30 somethings that went out to dinner and they said, Oh, let's go to a comedy club. And then, mm-hmm. uh, with, and they come in with no expectations and you got people my age that are doing their one time a year that they go out yeah. and do something. And, uh, if you get too many of either of them, then the audience can skew away from you really quickly. Like if, if you get a whole room of me, um, of, of my age people, um, I, I can see your comedy not hitting because I mean, I love right. it, but most people my age are, you know, They're turned off by it or just maybe references or things they don't. Yeah. Or yeah. Don't care. I mean, most of them probably didn't watch breaking bad or, or anything right. like that. And, and they may not, they may not be sharp enough to understand what a misdirect is. So yeah, I just feel like you can get to the point where you're just too generic or you're too safe because you're, you're, I'm worried I'm going to offend this person or I'm worried these people will be too old or these people will be too young. I mean, you kind of just gotta, I mean, there's, I know comics I respect who don't think Bill Burr is funny and that's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. Comedy is subjective. Yeah. Do you think Bill Burr gives a shit if everybody thinks he's funny? Nope. <laughs> no. I mean, you, you just, there's people who hate LeBron James. Yeah. You know, and he's arguably the greatest basketball player of all time. I mean, it's there. People are going to hate you and, and like you no matter what. Mm. So it's especially with comedy, though, it is definitely subjective and it's it's impossible to make everybody happy all the time. I mean, you can have a different perspective or, or you know, some comics do want to be like real political or, or try to make it you know, more, more serious and try to like push a message. And then there's guys who I really admire who think the whole goal should just be to be silly and make people laugh and give them an escape from the rest of that shit. Yeah. So I agree with both. I, I think both work, but um, I think both of those comics would mostly agree that it's not, I mean, I feel like most of the comics saying that are comics who are just kind of doing the same shows in the same places. And I don't know, yeah. but even they're having bad shows sometimes. And do they, so then are going to, are they going to change their whole act to try to make it? So they just do the same every time. I don't know. Yeah. I yeah. And somebody like uh Stuart Huff, um, you know, he's not, he's not going to be well, up there doing, a bunch of misdirects or dick jokes. It's just, no, it's just not, it's just not who he is. A message, but it's a positive one. I mean, he leans left. So there's probably some people that lean right that maybe aren't the biggest fans, but yeah. in the end he brings it around where he's like, Hey, let's all just be better essentially. Yeah. Um, and super smart guy. He's always been a guy where I think most comics beat him and they're like, why isn't this dude famous? Yeah. Well, he doesn't want to be a writer, but I think maybe, maybe there is some people who it turns off just because they don't, they just want to hear dick jokes and they don't want to be, you know, thoughtful or have to think, Mm -hmm. but I think he's great. And every place I've ever been, he's one of the comics when they come in town, there's a line of comics ready to, you know, blow that guy. So he's must be doing something right. Yeah. So what is it? What is it about Michigan that produces uh, so many good comics? Because uh, you know, I've talked to you. I've talked to Rob Jenkins, Garrett Elzinga, um, and and I've I've got more on on the hook to talk to. But it seems like mm-hmm. you know, and and you're all a little bit different. But you you guys are all good. And is it because you guys support each other, or you know, what is it that? I mean, we're all kind of, everybody has their own clusters. You know, you, you've got the Grand Rapids, Lansing, Kalamazoo, Detroit, obviously. But yeah, we all kind of help each other out and support each other. I don't think we support each other as much as we probably should. I mean, there's definitely still some competition and there's still, yeah, you know, unneeded drama here and there, just like any other industry or form of entertainment. And, and there's always going to be, comp- like I said, competition and, and, you know, people who started at the same time who, you know, are, you know, going at each other because somebody gets something and yeah. somebody doesn't and all the all bullshit. But yeah. for the most part, I think we're supportive of each other. And um, I don't, I think we definitely love the craft and people are all about the stage time and, and trying to be good comics. And 
Um, I don't know. Michigan just has always had, I think, an underrated scene as far as uh, from just a, a countrywide perspective. I mean, we're not one of the bigger markets, so yeah. we're always going to get lost in the shuffle. But I think we're doing all right. Yeah, I feel like you're just kicking Indiana's ass, and and so I, I want Indiana to step it up. <laughs> Maybe I don't. Now I, I, there's some Indiana comics I really respect too, but I mean a, a lot of the, you know, Dave Dyer's here in town with me. He's he's one of my best friends in comedy, you know, a guy I've always admired. I think he's really good. He's another guy who I think should have a Comedy Central special. He's always been phenomenal, and he's a Michigan guy. And I mean, some people just, I think. Other comics, like if you don't move to a market, they look at you like you were a coward or didn't have the balls. But that's not everybody's goal. Not everybody mm-hmm. wants that. And um, you can be really good at what you do from a smaller market and still be as hard of a worker and be as talented and be as good of a comic. You just didn't ever desire to do that. Yeah. Uh, because of wherever you were in life and it just never worked. But um, yeah, Michigan, I think. I, and the Midwest in general is just I, good for comedy. I mean, this is where all the work is. You know, everybody from the coast are coming here to work clubs anyway. Yeah, that's uh, or at least they were before you know the apocalypse. Yeah, I've heard. And, I've had conversations uh, with you know East Coast and West Coast people, and they're like, "Don't come here. Just don't even do it because you're not going to well, get stage I mean, time." You couldn't even get on stage in LA now, I think. So yeah, and New York's the same way. They they shut them back down. So yeah, it's so yeah, and I mean, with the internet, you know, there's never been more opportunity to get your name out there and to have platforms and things like you're doing with you know the, the cast that's had success. I mean, it's you can do that from home, which is great. Yeah, and God, you're. I mean, there's so many pros and cons to moving to either one of the coasts. Um, I wish I would have when I was younger, but I didn't, uh, no regrets. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can, you, you can still be funny and enjoy what you do, you know, in the Midwest. So. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, so the last, the last thing I like to ask, and I ask everybody this, uh, what three things do you know now that you wish you would have known when you first started doing stand up? Oh boy. Um, I, number one, I would have realized in the beginning that being successful in comedy has so much more to do with offstage stuff than it does on stage. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking 70, 30. I mean, you can be very funny, but if you don't have the offstage business shit together, um, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's really important. It's almost more important to be unique or different than it is to be funny mm-hmm. <laughs> or to, to be a great writer. Mm-hmm. So off the bat, I think knowing that the business side and the networking and that can sometimes be more important than being funny. And then just finding a way to separate yourself, especially as a straight white male comic, because there's too many of us. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing, I guess, um, I don't know. I, I think uh, I would just, like I said, I, I mean, I think as a comedy purist, someone who would would have liked to get better quicker. I mean, if you do move to the East Coast specifically, you're going to have a lot more stage time, or at least this is pre-COVID I'm talking. So, I mean, you can develop in two years in New York City like you develop here in 10 years yeah, because you're getting on stage so much more and um, but now I don't know. I wouldn't even push people to move. I, I think, uh, I think you should just value your stage time and don't waste it. I've had so many, like I said, I've, I've done mics and stuff where somebody will go up before me and do really well. And then I'll say to myself, well, shit, I was going to do new stuff, but now I got to do well. I can't let this asshole do well. And then I don't, I've which is dumb. You got to swallow your pride and just, you have to have the balls to be comfortable with bombing and getting that new stuff better to develop material and become a better comic in the long run. And, uh, and then I, I mean, there's, there's just other, I mean, even the little things like, uh, like I said, as far as the business side, you know, who does your album, how you go about doing that, uh, even down to headshots, you just, 
I'll say this much. You get what you pay for. You can't, if you have your friends do everything for you, you know, at a discount, um, but they don't really know what they're doing. That can come back to bite you in, in your ass. Yeah. And um, I think I would have maybe taken it a little easier on social media. Uh, maybe <laughs> I wouldn't have been so outspoken and so opinionated. You know, that's probably hurt me for sure uh, on the business end, which is unfortunate. But, uh, you know, getting a little older and realizing that it's you're not changing anybody's mind anyway. So, yeah. I probably would have just stuck to more on stage stuff or just trying to be funny on the internet. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you just, you, you, the longer you do it, the more you realize what's important and what's not. And you see through the, all the bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, th- those are great. Well, this has been fantastic talk. I, I'm Thank glad, God, I'm glad you. we could co- connect and, uh, we connected within 24 hours after I asked you. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> hell yeah uh, well fortunately for you i got nothing to do yeah <laughs> well, well i hopefully we run into each other again man on a mic or something great well thanks a lot adam yeah take it easy man